Good morning, everybody. Um, my name's Sean, uh, the lead pastor, teacher pastor here for uh, Redemption Peoria. Uh, I do want to throw this out. Um, uh, you might have some questions about how we operate if you're new. Redemption Church be one church with nine different congregations. Uh, myself and some of the elders will be out in the lobby. We'd love to explain that. And honestly, if you're new or you've been coming for a while, come up and say hi. Uh, I'd appreciate that. If we're going to do this thing. Let's do it together. So just throwing that out in front of you. I- I'm going to pray in a second, and I'm going to explain kind of where we are and uh, how we operate. But just so you know, if you are new, it is a little bit different. What our go-to is for Redemption Church is going through books in the Bible. And um, we have this five-week period where we usually go you know, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We have this five-week period where we didn't really know what to do to fit in. And so we decided we're going to talk about, for Peoria, each congregation is doing something different. We're going to be talking about, um, it happens all the time, when someone spills their coffee, what happens is it just rolls down. It's like from the, every time I think of the office and Michael Scott, when the, it's like, dink, dink. If you haven't seen The Office, you don't know what I'm talking about. Anyway, um, so all that to say, uh, you might have questions. I don't even know what I was saying that before. Oh, five solas. Today we're talking about uh, uh, Christ alone, okay? But before I get to that, I do want to give just three quick things. Now, this time isn't four announcements. I know that. I'm going to pray, but I do want to say this. Going into this week, um, it's Thanksgiving on Thursday, right? And so there's two things about this. Number one, if you know somebody who does not have... Uh, the financial means to provide for themselves on Thursday, can you please email uh, myself or Josh or somebody on the website or at the end when Josh says, text that I'm, I'm new here with that number, fill one of those out or see somebody at the connect desk. If you know somebody, we want to help provide for them. And then if you want to help provide a meal for somebody and you don't know anyone, essentially what we want to do is connect people in the church like that. So you're going, Hey, I'd like to buy a Turkey or provide a Thanksgiving meal or a hundred dollar gift card to fries or whatever it is. And this person's going, well, I know somebody who needs a hundred dollar gift card and fries. We want to do our best as a church to be able to operate in that way. So just an FYI. Uh, the second thing is, um, two weeks ago, we talked about grace alone. And um, we went through Ezekiel 16. And um, I want to apologize uh, for a few things. The language in Ezekiel 16, and I struggle with this a lot when we go through certain parts of the Bible, because there's moments in Scripture where it's actually really, really strong, a lot stronger than your English translations say. And um, I don't regret, you know, using some of the language that I did in regards to the passage of Ezekiel. But some of that, when I'm trying to unearth the text, I use words like screw you and pissed. And uh, that's not okay. Um, And I have in a first service, I have an eight-year-old and 11-year-old who sit in the service. So if you have kids in here, I'm mindful of that. Um, So anyway, I'm learning in all this. I appreciate, uh, you know, the 150 emails I got. Um, I didn't get any emails. I'm just kidding. People did say stuff. They were not happy. But... And they were probably the P word as well at that, at the whole thing. So, but I won't say that anymore. Um, so anyway, all that to say, I want to apologize. And then here's the last thing. Let's, that's, we got that done. Here's the good news. Last week I preached at Arcadia, uh, because if you're not familiar with Redemption, Arcadia planted Redemption Peoria. And so I go there every now and then preach for them and give them an update. And let me just say this. I love Arcadia. Everything that's going on there is awesome. There's no, but I really, really like our church. I love this earpiece on my mic. It feels so much better than theirs. Um, I love seeing us together. I love Josh. I love um, our, our voices. I love Redemption Peoria. And I just wanted to share that with you guys. I consider, like, and I mean this, I'm not just saying this. If I did not pass a Redemption Peoria, I would go to Redemption Peoria. Um, I love what we're about. And that's not because I'm driving it. I, there's a lot of things I wish we can go in another direction sometimes. But as elders, we agree upon things and I love it. I love the camaraderie, the community, the beauty of, uh, of our church. So just an FYI, I thought I'd throw that out, how awesome we are. Um, so let me pray 
because uh, I said how awesome we are now. You're clapping, but then we're going to get into how not awesome we are here in a little bit. So it's kind of a, a setup in some ways. So let me pray for us. Father, thanks so much for who you are. Thank you uh, for this time where we get to open your word. Uh, we recognize that there's a lot of ideas and, and philosophies in the room, but your word is what encourages us and it corrects us. It trains us in righteousness. Uh, I pray now, as we do every week, for Hebrews 4.12 to absolutely be true, that our thoughts would be discerned, that um, there would be a, a surgical precision by you, Spirit, removing these idols deep within us. I mean, some of us have things that we're not even you know, aware of, idols of comfort uh, and power that we have. Pray that you would, um, yeah, in your good grace, show us how to walk this uh, following Jesus thing out. We love you. In your name we pray, Christ. Amen. The five solas. If you're new, 30-second update. Here's what happened. There was a point uh, in the church's history when the church and the people who were leading the church uh, was not the same as it is now. Meaning the people who were leading the church were not giving access to things like the Bible. The way that the church played out on Sundays was different. And a lot of what was going on was that the, the clergy, the pastors, if you will, at the time, were really leading astray, and not intentionally, but just how it was going. And I gave, you can go back to listen to the first week on the solas, what was going on, but being led astray. And there was a lot of things that were happening that shouldn't have been happening. And so um, essentially what we did is, is we looked at the moment where the, the church, or specifically God used some men at this time, that there was a reformation, a, a the Protestant Reformation, a protest where they said, this is not right. And the reformers from that point said, here is the Christian faith. Here's the foundation of who we are. And it's where we got the five solas. The five solas are five things that if you grew up in church, you're absolutely aware of, but we've never, or you've never, at least I've never had the opportunity to drill down on. So we talked about sola scriptura. These are all Latin words, which means scripture alone. No one in here, if you're a believer is going, I don't know, scripture, book of Mormon, Quran, the Pope, they're all the same. If you're truly a believer of Jesus Christ, you're seeing the word of God and you're going it and it alone. We talked about grace alone, faith alone. Next week, we'll talk about glory uh, to be uh, glory to God be alone. Like all of that's true. And then now we have this little moment, the fourth week in this, where we're saying to, uh, to Christ alone or in Christ alone. And I'll kind of unpack that. Okay. So here's what I want to say. If you are new to the faith or new to the solas or whatever it is, you might be hearing these messages specifically grace, faith, and in Christ alone, honestly, as overlap. You're, you might be sitting there going, it honestly kind of sounds the same. Last week, what Dave unpacked in faith, two weeks ago, going through grace. So here's what I want to put in front of you. This morning, when we talk about in Christ alone, we're not rehashing grace alone or faith alone, but rather we're giving what grace and faith grab onto. Meaning the grace that you have or the grace that you get, it's, it's only as good as whom it comes from. And so we're talking about this morning who that grace is coming from. So I love wrestling with my kids, love throwing them around, right? And so my 11-year-old gets my 8-year-old in the headlock and we're all wrestling. In that moment, Titus, who's my 8-year-old, goes, Anna, help, Anna, help, right? And we're just playing. Anna's our 2-year-old. And so Anna comes running in and she goes, Titus, I'll help you. And she begins to pull Corbin's leg. Now listen. We all know in that moment, she's doing nothing. She's doing nothing. She's bringing nothing to the table. Corbin could easily just push her down, but we're all laughing and we're all having fun. Now, when Anna comes around the corner and says, Titus, I'm here to help you, is a lot different than when Corbin goes, Daddy, help me. 
and I come around the corner, I take three steps towards Corbin, and he's in the backyard, okay? The reason is, he's afraid of what I can do. He's not afraid of what Anna can do. And so when we're calling for help, who we're calling to matters. It matters. I think B.B. Warfield said it the best. Listen to this. Talking about faith and how we've been celebrating this faith. Listen, the saving power of faith resides thus not in itself, but in the almighty Savior on whom it rests. So faith is awesome. Faith we should, we should celebrate, but it is rootless. It does, it, it's not doing anything unless it has its roots in Jesus. And so what was going on uh, during the Reformation was uh, the church was providing to the people this grace, but it was shaky grace. It, it, it was like a trunk of a tree planted in the ground and that soil, it was malleable. It, it was movable. It, it was, I have it. It's up and down. It's a roller coaster ride. I'm, I'm good with God. I'm not good with God. I'm good with God. I'm not good with God. And so all I want to do is talk about this morning where the roots of this trunk go and how powerful the ground of Jesus Christ really is. Even as I, I try to prepare for this message, I was looking at um, past sermons that I preach, and this is just my own personal deal. I do not like preaching the same sermon. I don't ever plan to do that. It's not something that I want to do. Um, but I was looking back at notes, at things, at verses, like, okay, how have I processed this conversation with us about being uh, Christ? And I realized, looking through all the notes of the last three and a half years, never once have we only talked about Jesus. Like, we always talk about Jesus, of course, but an entire sermon on him. And as a matter of fact, going into the next year, uh, the beginning of 2019, we're going to be going through the person of Jesus, this going through the Gospels, looking at the way Jesus interacted. And so I want to kind of launch that idea this morning. Now, the passage we're going to go to in, in about 25 minutes is John chapter 10. But I want to share 30 verses with you before we get there. I want you to see how strong this grace is because of whom it is coming from, how strong the source is. So this is where we start. Before there was you, and before there was me, before there was our great-great-grandparents, before there was a moon or sun in the sky, before there was a before. We use before, past, present, and future language because it's a way for us to communicate time. Before there was time, there was Christ. Okay, so whatever, wherever we're going to start, let's understand that this grace we're talking about, of whom it comes from, is timeless. Maybe you don't believe me. Listen to this. In John chapter 1 and Philippians uh, chapter 2 verse 6, we've got a lot of verses to cover, y'all. Okay, Christ was with God, was God, and was equal with God. In John 17, 5 and verse 24, it says, as Jesus says to God, you love me before the foundation of the world. I had glory with you before the world began. In 1 Peter 1.20, we're told that he is a savior foreordained before the foundation of the world. So where was Jesus? If we're going to talk about how awesome he was, where was Jesus before there was a was? He existed. He was there before the foundation of the world was determined to be the savior of something that didn't even exist yet. That he had glory in the Father before there was anything. And then in that moment, God in his beauty creates something. He creates the water and says only this far. He creates the land. He puts the stars in the sky. He creates the trees. And yes, he creates man. And in that moment, Jesus was there. Listen to this. 
John chapter 1, 3. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In Colossians 1.16, by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are on earth. It's so interesting that Jesus uses things like ship, uh, 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 sheep, fish, ravens, corn, lilies, fig trees, vines, etc. Jesus uses creation constantly because he knows it. We read the story of the Bible in our narrative, the narrative we find ourselves in, and it's almost like we don't see him there from the jump. He was there. God the Father speaks these things. Whose words? Who's the word that comes to life? All things are made through Jesus. All things are made for Jesus. All things are made by Jesus. It's about Jesus. And in knowing creation, he continues to use these ideas. It is about him. And then you may ask, well, well then where was he in chapter 3 then? I mean, if that's the case, then what happens when hell brings all that it can attaches itself to all that is good. Adam, Adam and Eve fall from grace, and there is a disconnect between them and each other, them and God, them and creation. What then? Even then, Jesus is in the story. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we, said the, we, we see that the seed of the woman would yet bruise the serpent's head. We see that a, sir, a, a savior is going to be born, even amidst the pain struggle, ostracization of, of Adam and Eve from God, even in that hopelessness, Jesus goes, but I'm coming. But I'm coming. That, that, that you think this is over. And here's what's even crazier. Then we get hindsight in Romans chapter 5 because we read Genesis like it's about Adam and Eve. I mean, we're reading Genesis as if it's about the serpent. And that's not at all what the story's about. We come to find out that actually Adam was an archetype. Adam was symbolizing, representing man, but Jesus is the fulfillment. Listen to this. In Romans chapter 5, verse 17, For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, Adam, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through that one man, Jesus Christ. Genesis 1, 2, and 3 is saying this, throbbing over and over. Adam failed where Jesus won't. That's what's going on. It's his story. We're trying to like smash ourselves into it, but it's his story. And this goes on. Over and over and over. This, this continues to go on. You continue to read the scriptures, and this is what we see. We end up seeing uh, Levitical sacrifices. So just, just to be clear, so you know I have verses to back all these up. In 1 Peter chapter 3.18, we see that Jesus is a fulfillment of the sacrifice. In John 8.56, we see that we understand the story of Abraham through the lens of Jesus. Even the miracles, the day-to-day stuff that we see in Exodus, the, the fire by night, the cloud by day, the water from the rock, the serpent raised up, this is all all pointing towards Jesus Christ. You can read that in 1 Corinthians 10.4, John 3.14. We see that ultimately David is a king that failed where Jesus won't. The judges are insufficient. They can't get there. Jesus will be the ultimate judge on and on and on and on. And and just to prove that point further, that's only a foretaste of what we're going to do in Advent. So during our season of Advent, we're going to take the four weeks and cover how Jesus is a fulfillment of the Old Testament. He ultimately is the one who brings the exodus. He ultimately is the one who brings the rest. He is ultimately the creator. So what we see is this echoing in this story from from, uh, Isaiah to Malachi, the prophets themselves are going, someone's coming. Now listen, even if you read, it's interesting because you read the prophets and you think it's about Israel, 
but, but the hope, and it's a seed you've got to see, it begins to germinate and grow. What's going on there is some moments the prophets are going, this is a mess, and someone's going to come fix it. And they even can't tell. Like sometimes they get his first coming and his second coming confused. And they're going, okay, so I see it. It's this one light. But their hope over and over through all of the prophets is Jesus. Jesus alone. That's who the story is about. And then 400 years of silence. That blank page between your Old Testament and New Testament is a symbol of Prominent philosophers and Stoics trying to conjure up all the knowledge they can get with God. And yet 1 Corinthians chapter 121 says, The world by wisdom knew not God. Here is the world not hearing God speak. They feel like they don't know what to do. They're trying to grasp for answers. And then, you know this story, Jesus himself leaves that glory for all eternity. He takes on the nature, his nature, man's nature upon himself, born as a man. He himself does the will of God perfectly. He suffers on the cross, as we should have suffered, previously fulfilling Genesis 3.15, FYI. He died for our sins. He rose again for our justification. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father. So when you read the Gospels, it's Jesus living and breathing and active. When you read the book of Acts, it's Jesus proclaimed. When you read the epistles, it's Jesus through instruction. The whole thing is about Jesus. Every New Testament writer, every prophet, even when they fully aren't cognitive of it, the story is going, it's about Jesus, it's about Jesus, it's about Jesus. And yet we are even told beyond that, it's still about Jesus. Because one day, suffering will be removed. We don't just have to talk about back then or now. We could talk about the future. That one day, listen to, to some of these verses. One day, wickedness, according to Acts 3.21, will be done away with. Satan shall not reign uh, uh, always. Eight, uh, Romans 8.22, creation will not always groan. 2 Peter 3.13 and Isaiah 11 says this. The earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that moment, it is all about Jesus. You don't believe me. Listen to Philippians 2.10. Every knee on that day, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Psalm 2.8 and Daniel 7.4 says that his kingdom will not be destroyed. In Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, it says the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. Do you hear that? When it's all said and done, Starbucks belongs to Jesus. Do you understand? It's going to be sanctified, bottled up in his blood, and given to us. And Jesus in this moment, Starbucks is a great example, that's weird, but you get what I'm saying. Ultimately, Jesus has all the arrows pointing towards him. And this is, what, this is what's crazy. If you've ever been in a room where a celebrity walks in, or maybe not even a celebrity, somebody that like you like, right? You know, especially early on when you're infatuated with them, like, you know, like, oh, she, you know where she is in the room, like all this. And especially when there's a celebrity in the room where the rest of the room isn't celebrities, everyone almost knows where that is Jesus for all of eternity. Everywhere you go on the new heavens and the new earth, you know where Jesus is. He's coming over here. Oh, he's not coming over here. There's Jesus again. It's all about him. As a matter of fact, the songs we will sing forever for the rest of ever will be these words. You ready? Revelation 5, 6. The lamb that was slain. Revelation 21, 23. The lamb shall be the light of this place. Revelation 12, uh, 5, 12, and 13. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Blessed and honor and glory and power be unto him, Jesus, that sits upon the throne. Who sits on the throne? Jesus. And unto the lamb forever and ever. Revelation 7, 15. We will serve him day and night in his temple. Revelation 22, 4. We will see his face, hear his voice. 
voice, speak with him as a man speaks to his friend. This day is coming. From the jump, it's been about Jesus. In the end, it will become about Jesus. And even in that moment, lest we see Jesus as some go-lucky, happy guy just going around, shaking hands, as some kind of politician, no, on that day, judgment will come. Judgment will come. And, and, And lest you think that you will get to be the judge. I'm a good person. Like, it's like, like I chalk it up to like, I haven't done it. You're not the judge. At the end of eternity, when every single breathing soul stands before the judge, you know who they're looking at? John chapter 5, verse 22, Matthew 25, 31, 2 Corinthians 5, 10. The Father has given all judgment unto the Son. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, then uh, shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be all the nations of the earth. He shall separate them from one another as a shepherd divides the sheep from the goats. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Let everyone may receive the things done in his body according to what he has done, whether it be good or bad. From the beginning, it's been about Jesus. And in the end of days, yours and mine and creations, when creation no longer groans, you know who everyone's standing in front of going, did I do right? Jesus. Jesus. J.C. Riley says it perfectly when he says this. Language seems exhausted in the Bible. In describing Christ's various offices, the high priest, the mediator, the redeemer, the savior, the advocate, the physician, the bridegroom, the head, the bread of life, the light of the world, the way, the door, the vine, the rock, the fountain, the son of righteousness, the forerunner, the prince of life, the amen, the lamb of God, the almighty, the king of saints, the author, the finisher, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the bishop of souls. All of these and many more are names given to Christ in scripture, each as a fountain of instruction and comfort to the believer. We're told this echoing, and if John chapter 21 is right, that while Jesus was here on earth, everything that he did, if we can encapsulate it, take all of it, and put it down in writing, it would fill all of the books in the world. This is how big he is. This is the ground that grace is rooted in. It's not shaky, earning itself through penance. It's not shaky because you're going to mess up when you leave here. It's not shaky because you didn't have perfect church attendance. It's not shaky because you watched rated R movie. No, no, no. It's rooted, rooted in this eternal being, Jesus Christ. Titus is calling for help and daddy's walking in the room. Do you understand? Do you understand? So why would this be good news? Because all too often it feels like we're just like those at the Reformation. We're playing that same track on repeat. At that time, they're trying to earn good grace through the church, to the church, because of the church. They're trying to do all these right things, and nothing has changed. We're just doing it for ourselves. And so hear me when I say this. I have really, really good news. The reason it's worth sharing all 30 verses The reason that Christ alone is so, so good, this is good news, and this is the counter of what the world is telling you. I have really, really good news. You don't have to make your story about you anymore. The curse of post-modernity has been radical individualization. And so you, removing yourself from all other kingdoms, feel this need to build your own. And so Instagram's got to be on point. 
all of social media has to be on point. You've got to be a great classmate. You've got to be a great father. You've got to be a great mother. You've got to be a great spouse. You have to have a, a perfect uh, a record within your employee. You've got to make all the money that you can. And in this moment, you're keeping up with the Joneses. You're keeping up with some facade. Is that not tiring? That's got to be exhausting. Like, who are you doing this for? To make your story all about you. That is like... No wonder depression and anxiety are on the rise. You can't hold that weight. And I'm telling you, there's an invitation to better soil. You don't have to root yourself in that stuff anymore. Jesus is going, I'm here and I'm legit. Trust me. Trust me. It's good news. You don't have to make your story about you anymore. I know that people have promised that will bring you happiness, but you know it's been a lie. It's been fleeting. In this moment, Jesus offers to say me and me alone, which leads us to our passage. In John chapter 10, we get a glimpse. If you can turn there, we get a glimpse of, um, there's three times this happens, but I think this is the most prominent and the best personally, where um, I can tell you what Jesus is like. The prophets can tell you what Jesus is like. Paul the Apostle through the epistles can tell you what Jesus is like. But in this passage, Jesus tells us what Jesus is like. And so a little bit of context. Because um, I know that not many, if any of us, are shepherds. Um, and so let me just explain how this works. Obviously, we're probably aware, though, that a shepherd is someone who takes care of sheep, right? And so um, you have this shepherd who could have something as small as 10 sheep up to about 500 sheep. So what would go on is they're out in the field, you know, you can, whatever classic example you want to think, whatever movie or picture you've seen, the shepherd out with his flock. Um, well, they don't just live out there only. They're out there for the most part, but eventually they would come into towns, okay? And this is what I would believe Jesus is seeing in this moment, this picture. A shepherd has, let's say, 100 sheep, comes in, wants to come into town because he wants to bathe, probably get a proper meal, whatever it is. Comes into town, and what's he do with all of his sheep? Well, he would take his 100 sheep, and he would go to what like is a communal like sheep gathering area. We, we do this with the fair or any major event, right? When someone owns a piece of property, we drive our car in there. We pay them $10 and we say, hey, watch this, watch all of our cars. And yet somehow our cars are broken into. I don't know how it works, but you're paying them $10 and you're saying, we're leaving our car with you. I'll come back and pick it up later. That's exactly what's happening. This guy would come in and he would go to this gatekeeper, who essentially this hired hand who would pay this, uh, uh, pay this gatekeeper, this hired hand to watch all the sheep. So I could have a hundred sheep there. Al can have a hundred sheep there. Eric could have a hundred sheep there. And there's 300 sheep in this pen. And we're all just paying for, for these sheep to be taken care of. Now, with that context, Jesus gives us four different types of people in John 10 that we need to be aware of. One, the gatekeeper. Two, the sheep. Three, the shepherd. And then four, a stranger or or a thief. And I think it's not the same thing, but a a thief or a stranger. But we're going to put those those, uh, together as we read John chapter 10. So that's the context. The shepherd comes in, and this this is how you uh, might help to process that. So we're going to pick it up in verse 1, chapter 10 of the Gospel of John. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger, they will not follow, they will flee from him, 
for they do not know the voice of strangers. Stop real quick. We're not going to cover all. I'm going to uh, recap some of like verses six through nine here in a second, but just hear what's going on. So we have this big pen of 300 sheep and we have two different uh, characters that can come in and try to get these sheep. First, I drop my sheep off and Al could come get his sheep. Well, when Al comes and gets his sheep, he goes to the gatekeeper, gatekeeper opens it up and goes, come on sheep, right? His hundred sheep will know his sheep. My sheep, my sheep aren't going to know that shepherd. Okay. So Jesus is painting, this is important, this very intentional uh, line of reason of exclusivity that Jesus is going, there is one shepherd that my sheep are going to know. There's another way that you can get in there and try to take those sheep. And this is like a thief. Somebody can hop the fence, maybe somebody distract the, the, the gatekeeper, come in and try to steal one of the sheep. But the point of what Jesus is painting is he's the shepherd. Those are his sheep. His sheep will know his voice. Now, amidst all of this, there are other voices. There's a stranger, there's a thief, and this is what Jesus says to that idea. He uh, begins to talk about this juxtaposition of thief and stranger to the shepherd. Verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. We're gonna read verse 15 and 16 again here in a second, but you can hear what's going on. This is, this is like beyond all of this, Jesus is describing himself exclusively. What he's saying in this moment is that there are some people that it's not even bad. It's not even like they're intentionally being malicious, but they have ideas. So let's, let's walk away from the parable for a second and get out what he's putting in front of us. That there are other voices that are going to tell you to earn grace or be right with God in different ways. They're strangers. You need not hear their voice. And then there are going to be other people, i.e. the devil, who's going to intentionally speak things into you. And some of you are too, all too familiar with that voice. The moment you mess up, you feel like you can, I, I'm so far from God. You're never going to get it right. You continue to try it. And the moments you do get it right, you feel like you and God are good. The moments you're not, you feel like you and God are separated. And this is the devil whispering over and over. And he seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. And Jesus says, one voice, one, mine. Hear my voice, my sheep will know my voice. Now, contextually, Jesus is not just talking here to these people. Listen to verse 15 and 16 to his prophetic statement. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. This is you, this is me. That, that Jesus now in this moment is saying, I'm your shepherd. I'm guiding you. I'm leading you. And you're hearing the voice of a stranger. Man, no, 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 no. You're hearing the voice of the thief. No, 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 no. I hear my shepherd. My shepherd's calling me. My shepherd's leading me. This is so good that Jesus invites you to abide with him, to lean on him, to trust him, to stop fighting for your place with God. He's 
got you. And those of you in the room who do not claim to be a believer, you've got to be exhausted by now. How do you not hear this? And Jesus saying, lay that yoke down and take mine. Take my way, my path. It will bring you joy. So I wouldn't be um, right here unless I gave a proper response to in Christ alone. Um, Because the reality is this is so true, right? Um, But what does this mean for us? If Jesus and Jesus alone is our mantra, if Jesus and Jesus alone is where grace is rooted in and where faith is rooted in, if that's ultimately where we know and uh, can trust, continue to trust for all of eternity, how we're secure in the Lord, well, well, then what does that mean? What does that mean for us? It means we're sheep. And so I only know one very personable uh, story of being a sheep, and it's pretty morbid, so buckle up. Um, so uh, when I was about 24 years old, um, I was, yeah, no, probably 22 years old. I was, um, I was part of the Assemblies of God. I was a pastor in the Assemblies of God. And I was in the Assemblies of God. They have something called Master's Commission, which is this discipleship program. And um, part of this discipleship program, there's this graduation. And in the Assemblies of God, if you're not familiar, we do these things called dramas. It's so funny. Candace, my wife, and I always joke about what it would be like to do a drama at Redemption Peoria. It would just be super weird. We'd be like... What, you guys would be like, what is going on? Like, I would be up here singing the song of Lincoln Park. Like, that's what a drama is. And you'd be like, what's going on? And I look back and I go, I don't know. Um, so we were doing a drama trying to depict the story of Abraham. And so we wanted a real uh, sheep that was caught in the thicket in the moment where he's about to sacrifice Isaac. So um, uh, one of my best friends uh, is Uche. He's from Nigeria. Uh, and we had a bunch of Nigerian friends there and who were part of this whole deal. And so Uche goes, well, let's just go get a goat. Now, I was born and raised in America. I don't know, like, the regular goat vendors out there, right? And so he's like, oh, yeah, we'll talk to Louie. He'll give us 15% off or, like, whatever, okay? So we get this goat, and we have to have it for about a week, about six days before we use it for this drama. And we so we could try to use it over and over. It's pooping everywhere. It's terrible, okay? So we get this. Now, eventually what happens is this sheep will not leave us alone. Like, everywhere we go, I'm like, back up, Okay? And it just got so used to Uche and I, like, it's just following us everywhere we go, okay? Well, we do the drama, and then we don't know what to do with the sheep, okay? I heard a gasp, breathe. It's not bad, but I need you to breathe, okay? So, again, me being born in America, Uche being born in Nigeria, uh, and his mom, Obi, was like, let's eat it. And I'm like, okay, okay, let's, see, let's eat it. Yeah, of course. Um, and so we, um, we have to kill and then eat this sheep. Now, here's why I tell this story. Um, this sheep had, had come to love us so much, it trusted us. Like, it was crazy. And so here's what this sheep did. To the point of death, late, I mean, this gives a whole new glimpse. It gave a whole new glimpse of, like, the lamb sent to the slaughter, what Jesus did. The lamb lays down, like, doesn't fight. We take a knife to its throat. It's like, bah, bah. Okay? True story. True story. I know! This is real life! Okay? This is what happened. I have to live with this. Okay? We then end up burning off all the fur, cutting it open uh, like a sacrifice. It was a bunch of that story. We end up eating it. I don't know. It tasted like sheep. I don't know what to tell you. But here's here's the point of that. Um, That sheep, to its death, trusted us. I mean, it laid itself down and trusted us. It knew one thing and one thing only. 
wherever these guys take me, I'm going. To the point of death. Like it knew our voice when we came in the room. It followed us. Hear me. If Christ is going to be Christ alone, listen, 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 listen. The God of comfort can't stand. If Christ is going to be Christ alone, then the God of power, the God of nationalism, the person you want to date and you're like, well, they're kind of a Christian, whatever that looks like, it can't stand. It's Christ and it's Christ only. It's Christ all over. Colossians 3.11, I think sums up the whole statement. Christ is all. Let that be our story. Let's pray. Father, thanks for your goodness and your grace. Thanks for um, giving us a glimpse into your beauty, Jesus, this morning. Spirit, we recognize that um, we could have just read scriptures, and there's a lot of them. I mean, a lot of text today. Um, And yet, um, though they might have just gone past us or whatever it is, I pray that as we read these things, we would see them in that narrative. As we read the story of Abraham, we read the story of Adam, or we see creation, or we Uh, see what the epistles are pointing towards, all of heaven, judgment. It's all about you, Jesus. And we are so arrogant, so prideful to think that our lives could be about anything but that. May we be like the reformers and declare Christ alone. We trust you. We love you, even unto death. In Jesus' name, amen.